The following is audio from Fellowship Community Church in Centennial, Colorado. If you would like more resources or want to support this ministry, please visit www.fcchurch.org. Some dear friends here at Fellowship gave me a devotional for Christmas, and it's entitled Born a Child and Yet a King, and the author uh, says this yesterday on December 16th. The Christmas story, as we've all seen along our journey through this first half of December, is not just something sweet, sentimental, and snow-covered. It is a daring, divine rescue mission against a dug-in, determined enemy. Christmas reveals that God means business. Christmas is a declaration of war. War against that which has been warring against us since before we were born. War against the sin that hasn't stopped fighting us from the moment we awaken from sleep this morning. War against what's been responsible for saddening us, enslaving us, and stealing years of joyful freedom from us. But worse than that, if you can imagine... Worse than even our own individual experience with our own maddening sins is the extent to which sin infects the entire world we inhabit. It overlooks no one, shatters whole families, shortens lifespans, scares us to to see what men and women are capable of doing to each other. The problem God faced in choosing to send his son to us wasn't limited to pockets of sin here and there, to isolated locations on the earth that could be targeted on a map and pinpointed for surgical strikes. If Christ was going to come to fight, to win, he would need to save us all from Satan's power. And he did. Amen. Amen. In our series on these wonderful blessings, we started out with hope. And it's a certain hope. It's a hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a theological hope. It's a hope centered in Christ. And that's why the writer of Hebrews says, listen, hold on to your hope unswervingly. Don't waver. Don't jump to some other place or resource because it's not real. But the hope in Christ is real. Christ came and died and rose again, and this hope is living. So we rejoiced in hope. And then last week we looked at love. And uh, I told you, I don't see love in the story. I don't see it in Luke. I don't see it in Matthew. But it's all over the story. And we said that God's love began in a a preeminent way. It's the love of the Father and the Son and the Spirit together within the Godhead. It's this incredible, perfect love that has always been and always will be. And it's part of the reason why Jesus went to the cross is because he loved the Father. Part of the reason why the Father said the Son is because he loved his Son and the Spirit as well. And so it's that preeminent love that then was progressive when it was, became reached out to us, that he loved us. And he sent his Son, his one and only Son, 
to die for us and be buried and rise again. And then finally, it goes to projected love, we said, that we are called to love others with the love that we've experienced because we love because he first loved us. And I wanted to quote from what I call really the Lord's Prayer from John 17. Look at these. These are the closing words of this great prayer. And this is a perfect prayer. All right, John 17 is a perfect prayer. Every request will be answered yes. All right, there's no debating. The Father, the Son's holy conversation, and Jesus says, Father, I want those you've given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you. And they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. What a full circle of love. It's just, it's just a beautiful, beautiful story, this Christmas story. And today we're going to look at joy. We rejoice with Great joy. So I have a video for you. So enjoy these few moments. Do you remember your first trip to the planetarium? Probably with your third grade class. More excited to leave school than actually learn anything about science. You know who you were. You find your seat, impatiently waiting for the show to start, ignoring the withering look of your teacher. And then, Incredible. How can we be so small, but so special? That is, I believe how the wise men must have felt. These magi got quite the star show themselves, except it was just one star. One bright, magnificent, piercing, brilliant ball of fire. And boy, did they bet a lot on that star. But just like the one they were traveling to see, this star stood out as something special. This one beckoned Follow me, and what a payoff. When they arrived in Bethlehem, they asked, where is the one born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. And it got me thinking, is worship a little different the harder the journey to get there? Struggling along the road with others? The type of trip that tests your faith and breaks your back? What's that worship like? I can't speak for the wise men. Maybe they shouted hallelujah, or they knelt in quiet reverence. We've all walked our own difficult journeys. And when we got to the other side, we all felt it. The joy we had to fight for tasted just a bit sweeter. And for that bright morning star, the one that caught you in awe when you saw it, well, What else can you do but rejoice when you realize that the journey was always leading you to Jesus? The journey is always leading you to Jesus. I don't know where you're at on that journey today, but I think it is by the providence and appointment of God that you happen to be here today.
And I hope that if you've sought Jesus and that today you will get a clear picture of him, that you'll fall in love with him, that you'll experience more joy from him. I think many of us can look back and see the hand of God on the journey, how God was leading us, how God was bringing people and circumstances into our lives so that we could experience real joy in Jesus. Now, there's one statement I'm going to say at the beginning. I want you to remember this throughout what we're saying this morning. When God is glorified, we are blessed. When God is glorified, when his attributes, his perfections are seen, and his deeds are done, we're blessed. We're blessed. We're blessed. Glorifying God, celebrating his goodness, puts the spotlight on him, not on us. It's what the angels are doing around his throne. They're focused on who he is. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And they're focused on what he's doing. The whole earth is full of his glory. That's why we need to worship. We need to become more aware of him, and then we'll be more aware of his blessings. We'll enjoy them all the more as we share with one another the things God is doing the ways he's revealing himself to us. My life group this week, we were finishing up, and it was all about worship. Wisdom and worship leads us to worship, and we're sharing some stories, and it was just a glorious thing. It's like, like God just showed up in the room as we were just sharing with one another. And I think we are more grateful and we are more thankful in our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, as we are worshiping. So remember... When God is glorified, we are blessed. We are blessed. Now, who was rejoicing at the birth of Jesus? Everybody, almost. Let's begin with Zechariah. He's a priest, and a promise is made to him that his wife is going to bear a son. Now, this happened after he had been chosen to go in and burn incense at the altar of incense in the temple. And we know that he was an older man, and uh, he was pretty shocked by this appearance of the angel. <laughs> it says, the angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. Let me tell you, if an angel showed up today, you'd be gripped with fear. I'd be gripped with fear. They have never sinned. They don't know what it is to rebel against God. They are holy. They've always been holy. And that is an impressive sight. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a light to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Hallelujah. Now, when I read that, I think, are you kidding me? Is this old man in the temple praying for a son? Is he really doing that? I think he was praying for the redemption of the nation. I think he was praying for the forgiveness of sins. I think he was praying that God would send his Messiah, right? Just so happened that his son was going to be part of the process. And when the words used that his son would be a joy and a delight, the word used for joy there is a very strong word. It's only used five times in the New Testament. 
And, it, and, it, and it's a great joy. It's a joy originally meant to adorn yourself, which is kind of interesting, but it's just to put the focus on the Lord, put him in the spotlight, and, and be joyful about who he is and what he's doing. It's used of Jesus in Hebrews. It's used of the early church in Acts, that they were glorifying God. They were rejoicing in God like this. And it's used of the return of Jesus when in Jude 24, we will be ushered into the presence of God with great joy. What an understatement. <laughs> when we see his glory, as is predicted, and we read earlier in John 17. Now, why would John bring such joy to people? Well, because he was on a mission. He was on a mission to prepare God's people to meet Jesus. And his mission was very strategic. It was very, very important. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, John didn't really believe the angel, so he can't talk for the whole pregnancy. Imagine that, men, if you couldn't celebrate that your wife's going to have a baby. Not just any baby, but a unique baby. It was very improbable that she would have a baby, that's for sure. And when he finally is allowed to speak again, after the baby's born and they assure that the name of the baby is going to be John, it says he's filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. Past tense. You know why? Because it's as good as done. Even at the birth of John, now Zechariah knows the word of God is sure, he never lies to us, and he will redeem his people. Wow, it's like already been done. And he has raised up a horn of salvation in the house of his servant David, and that's Jesus, the horn, the strong horn, is, is Jesus. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies, to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. So he just goes off rejoicing and celebrating. And what a blessing. I want to ask you, do you rejoice in your kids? Do you rejoice in your children? You should. They've been entrusted to you. What a blessing. I can't believe that God entrusted four to me. Four children. And now ten grandchildren. Wow, that just blows my mind, really. I feel a big responsibility. But I can concur with what John says. It's given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. What a blessing when your kids are walking in the truth, right? Amen. I mean, that is just something to celebrate. That's something to rejoice in. And even when they're not walking in the truth, we're still going to love them, and we're going to pray for them, and we're not going to leave them, because we were called to that role. And what a blessing we were entrusted with him. Well, that's what Zachariah's doing. He's, he's rejoicing in his son. Well, we move on. John himself is rejoicing. Now, this is a very important part of the story, too often overlooked. 
Mary, after she's told that she's going to have the baby, goes to her cousin Elizabeth's house. (laughs) And you might remember that when she showed up in the house, something very interesting happened. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord, speaking of Jesus in her womb, in Mary's womb, should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby of my womb leaped for joy. It says that he was filled with the Holy Spirit before birth. He is a prenatal charismatic. (laughs) Do you understand? He is leaping for joy before he's even born. Now that says something to me about sanctity of life. That says something to me about the sacredness of each child created in a mother's womb. And what a blessing. I mean, it's just it's amazing. Well, I mean, that prompts Elizabeth to rejoice. And so even prenatal humans can rejoice in the Lord. Wow. Thirdly, Mary rejoices. Of course, she's rejoicing. She breaks into song. The last words Elizabeth said is, Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill his promise to her. And she did believe that. And so she begins to sing, My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. We call it the Magnificent from the Latin because she's magnifying the Lord. You see? This song is not about her. It's about the Lord. All she says about herself is, I'm just humble. I'm basically very low on the list, but God is so great. He reached down and he has given her the honor of being the human mother of our Lord Jesus. And so she's rejoicing over all the mighty deeds of the Lord. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has lifted the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. She's just celebrating the mighty deeds of God. Do you celebrate? Do I celebrate the mighty deeds of God? Hey, if it's mighty to you, it's mighty to him. It's worth celebrating. Yes, yes. Whenever God does a mighty work, we can rejoice. We can rejoice. And we should, because when we get our eyes on him, we celebrate more, we enjoy more of the blessings that he's giving to us. Well, the angels are rejoicing too. We hear that in chapter 2. And it's kind of an interesting story, isn't it? that there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. That verb, shone around, only appears one other time in the story of Paul's conversion, when the glory of God shone around him. It encircled him, and it encircled the shepherds. The glory of the Lord, the Shekinah glory of the Lord, the the Lord's glory that led them through the wilderness, the Lord's glory that was in the tabernacle, the Lord's glory that Ezekiel said left the temple but would return. 
if you're not doing anything this afternoon, you read from Ezekiel and uh, chapter 39 and 43, and you'll see that story. When Jesus showed up at the temple after he'd been born, Shekinah glory showed up again. See? That, that's what was happening. So the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. They had a great fear. <laughs> yeah. If the Shekinah glory showed up today, you'd have a great fear. I'd have a great fear. I'd be down on my face. And that's what they were doing. You know, when the children were up here and they just get down to bow down, wasn't that just so precious? Like that just is like, yes! That's so sweet! Sometimes they're better worshipers than we are. <laughs> and so he declares the great message. The Savior's been born. And you're going to find the baby wrapped in swaddling claws, as the old King James says, and lying in a manger. How many babies were in a manger that night? One, right? So they, they, they are celebrating, and the whole sky is filled with the angels. A great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heavens, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. It was sudden. It's sudden like the second coming of Jesus. The same verb is used of the coming of Jesus. It, they didn't expect it. And all of a sudden, whew, man, there's a whole group of angels. And I know the original text says they were saying it, but I think they were singing it. Right? I'm just saying. Glory to God in the highest. In the highest heaven. And glory on the earth. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory, Isaiah 6, 3 says. That's what the seraphs who burn with love for God are singing constantly. And they're not bored. i got to warn you, if you don't like praising God, you're not going to like heaven. <laughs> Seriously, that's what heaven's about. Obeying God, glorifying God, praising God. Angels never tire of doing it. They never grow tired of glorifying God. That's the heavenly language. I don't know whether it's Spanish or English or Dutch, or, but I know this, it's praise. It's glorifying God. We need to worship. We need to join in the worship with Zechariah and John and Mary and the angels. And then what about those shepherds? You remember their story? After they're told this, they hurry off. You know what that means? They didn't call a committee meeting. You know, they didn't try to decide or debate, should we go? No, we're going. We're going to Bethlehem. We're going to see this thing the Lord has said. And they do. They find the baby in the manger. And they're just amazed. And so they become the first evangelists. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. You shouldn't be surprised at that comment. God does what he says. That's what he did. And, and the people were hearing about this were, were amazed at what the shepherds were telling them. It had been just as they had been told. When God fulfills his promises, we rejoice. Listen, if you had an answer to prayer this week, God fulfilled a promise, did you rejoice? Were you grateful? Yes. Does somebody have to tell you, now listen, you should now be grateful? No. It's just spontaneous. When my wife birthed our second son, we had twins, right? So 
The first one's born, and then the second one's laying in there transversed. And so the <laughs> midwife was so precious, she reached in and grabbed his little head and pulled him down into position. And when the doctor said, he's in position, my wife said, laying there in front of God and everybody, praise the Lord! It's the most sincere praise the Lord I've ever heard in my life! It was so precious! <laughs> yeah. You see, that's what it was like for those shepherds. They were praising God. And then, what about the magi? Now, let me tell you, magi, we get our word magic from magi. There is a chance that when they were in the east, Persia perhaps, staring into the skies as astronomers and they saw the star, they were occult. They were influenced by the occult, perhaps. That would make the story even more dramatic that God would intervene and show them the star and that these Gentiles would make this long journey. And of course, they get it wrong. They go to Jerusalem because that's what the GPS said. But, you know, the king isn't in Jerusalem. And when they get there, you know, Herod isn't really happy about this. And the people aren't happy about it either. And when, he, when they're asked, well, well, where would he be born? They get the scholars in, and the scholars say, oh, it's uh, Micah 5.2. Yeah, he'll be born in Bethlehem. And they don't even bother to go down to Bethlehem. Like, I find that shocking. You would think at least they would make the journey to see if it might be true, but they don't. But when they saw the star, <laughs> they rejoiced with great joy. That's what the King James says, and that's the most literal translation. They rejoiced, the verb, with great joy. It's all those words together. You know, I mean, when they saw that star again, it was amazing. And then they go into the house and they bow down before the child Jesus and they worship him. And this is the first time Gentiles are worshiping Jesus. And that's, that opens the door for the Savior for the whole world, the whole world. And they rejoiced with great joy. And then they paid the bill to escape to Egypt, right? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. That's, that's what they did. Hallelujah. When we worship, we go home different. Did you catch that in the story? I didn't read the text, but some of you know. It said they left a different way. <laughs> they were warned in a dream not to go back. They left a different way. When you worship Jesus, you go home different. You're transformed by the power of God. You're reinvigorated by your love for God and his love for you. That's why worship is so important. Some days you get up, you don't want to worship, but do it. Worship. Glorify the Lord. This is the message because when God is glorified, we are blessed. We're more aware of his blessings. We give him more thanks. And when we ignore him, we miss out. So what about Simeon and Anna and all the others that are rejoicing that we don't have time to cover now? Just remember, there were many people rejoicing. And so, Psalm 92.1 is a song for the Sabbath day. It is good to praise the Lord and make music to your name, O Most High, proclaiming your love in the morning, your faithfulness at night. Why is it so good to rejoice in the Lord? Because you recognize who He is, you recognize what He's doing, and you enjoy the blessings all over again. It's good to praise the Lord. It's beneficial it's the right thing to do. It's good. Praise the Lord. That's why we gather, to worship Him. Hallelujah. 
Now, in the video, they said the more difficult the journey is, maybe the joy is greater. Now, I don't know what you think about that. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure I totally agree with it, but there's some truth to it. If that's true, other than the angels, think about the stories of these people. Zechariah, he's an old man. <laughs> he's lived a long time. He's been praying a long time. Hadn't had his prayer answered, maybe for his son and for the redemption of Israel, but God did it. Imagine his joy. Imagine his joy, even though it was a difficult journey. What about John himself? He did not live an easy life, did he? His diet's a little questionable. His clothing's a little strange. And all he does is cry out in the wilderness, repent, repent, to prepare the way for the Lord. And then I had a missionary friend. He says, you know, people say Christians die well. I said, yeah. He says, not John. He lost his head. That's not an easy way to die. But John lived a life of joy in the midst of his pain and his suffering and his rejection. What about Mary? I mean, Mary herself, she raises a whole slew of kids. And she's busy, and she's doing it on a carpenter's income. And there's just a lot of factors in Mary's life that were not easy. I mean, how many of you raised a perfect kid? Nobody. But think about it. And she did it with joy. She kept hiding things in her heart. Remember that? Isn't that so sweet? I mean, her baby book must have looked like, you know, like that, right? But she lived a hard life. What about the shepherds? They were the outcasts of the society. They weren't even allowed in the temple because they were considered unclean. And yet God showed up and announced this birth, the most dramatic part. Everything's really quiet and humble except for that angel scene there. And the magi. Like we said, perhaps even coming from the occult, they came and worshipped the Savior. And it wasn't easy to make that long journey to get there, but it was worth it. Now, of all these that we've mentioned, what about Jesus himself? What about his journey? What was it like for Jesus to be on the earth? What was it like? Well, the writer of Hebrews gives us a little insight, which I think is very significant here. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, I, I, I mean that, I think that's all the humans that have died before us that were faithful to the very end. They're a cloud of witnesses. They were testifying to Jesus to the very end. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. So easily entangles. You got them, I got them, right? Sin's like that. Let's throw it off. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. I run my race, you run your race. They're not all the same. But let us run the race that God has marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. He just ignored it. All the shame of the cross. He just ignored it. That was the joy. What was the joy? Bringing you to heaven. Bringing me to heaven. Letting us in on this love relationship that the Father and the Son and the Spirit have shared from eternity past because we had to be made holy to be able to approach God. And Jesus did it at the cross for us. This is his joy. This is his great joy. And after he died on the cross, now he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And there he's, from there he's coming again. That's the joy. He lived a life of joy. 
happiness was not in Jesus' life very much. Circumstances were difficult and hard. He was rejected and he's persecuted, but he had joy. And we can have joy. That's the beauty of it all. So, there is a famous Christmas hymn. I have a dear friend that went into heaven this week. Her name was Betty. And Betty and her friend Lorraine, whenever on Sunday nights, we used to have, you know, you could ask for your favorites. Do you ever do that in a service? You know, you sing your favorites. And uh, we actually had a hymn book, so we had something to do. Anyway, every Christmas, Betty and Lorraine would say, my favorite Christmas song is a song we don't sing very often. It was written by a woman by the name of Emily Elliott. She was a pastor's daughter. She's PK. And she worked in a rescue mission. Her aunt wrote a song that some of you know, Just As I Am, Without One Plea. That was her aunt. But she wrote a song to teach the children about Christmas, Advent, kids that are in a rescue mission, okay? So, oh, come to my heart, Lord Jesus. There is room in my heart for thee. Thou didst leave thy throne and thy kingly crown when thou camest to earth for me. But in Bethlehem's home was there found no room for thy holy nativity. Heaven's arches rang when the angels sang, proclaiming thy royal decree. But of lowly birth didst thou come to earth, and in great humility. Heaven, the foxes found rest. Look at this verse. The foxes found rest and the birds their nest in the shade of the forest tree. But thy couch was the sod, O thou Son of God, in the deserts of Galilee. Thou camest, O Lord, with a living word that should set thy people free. But with mocking scorn and with crowns of thorn, they bore thee to Calvary. You know, she's going past the birth now. She's going into his, his whole life. Oh, come to my heart, Lord Jesus. There's room in my heart for thee. And the last verse is perhaps the greatest. When the heavens shall ring and the angels sing at thy coming to victory. Let thy voice call me home, saying, yet there is room. There is room at my side for thee. My heart shall rejoice, Lord Jesus, when thou comest and callest for me. Amen. Amen. What a lesson. And so, let's walk the pathway filled with joy. No matter how difficult it is, no matter how hard it is, let's keep joy resonating by worshiping the Lord, even in the midst of our sorrow and struggle. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Dear Lord, thank you for reminding us today of all the rejoicing that happened at the birth of your Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And thank you, Jesus, for coming so humbly, making yourself so available to everybody. Hallelujah. Lord, and we look forward to the day when you come again and every eye will see you and every knee will bow and every tongue confess that you're Lord to the glory of God the Father. So, Lord, please be with us this year. Help us to be reinvigorated with joy and enthusiasm as we exalt you, O King Jesus. Amen and amen. You've been listening to audio from Fellowship Community Church in Centennial, Colorado. 
If you'd like more resources or want to support this ministry, please visit www.fcchurch.org.